Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. chains. I, I, I can't stand what they're doing to our cities, to the world that the Bible says was turning the world upside down. These Christians, these, these Christ followers, I'm going to do something about this. And he, he was a zealous man on fire to do what he thought was a good work because it went against their philosophy of, of you know, in their Jewish culture and what they believed was right. And so he pursued uh, his endeavors with passion. And out of nowhere, Jesus says, yeah, I want that guy. I want that guy. He's passionate. I like that. And, and he was persecuting the church. And as he's on the road going to Damascus, all of a sudden, guess who stands in the way? Jesus shows up. And Saul gets rocked. I mean, blind eyes, can't see. Uh, all of a sudden, he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you? He goes, I'm Jesus. And, and so all of a sudden, Saul changes his whole identity and he, be, he becomes Paul he's a new man transformed but that same zeal that same passion that led him into sin is now being used for the kingdom of God and, and in the same way I want to stop there for just a second because in the same way some of us in this room myself included we've been in that life where we think we're doing what's right this is the way I was raised this is what I'm supposed to do my parents told me or this is what I learned you know, this is what culture says is right, what I should do, and, and I'm pursuing this, this thing passionately, and, and all of a sudden, in an instant, God can say, I want you. I want you. You think you're doing things right? No. Turn around. Let's go the other way. I want you. And he can interrupt exactly where you're at. I mean, Paul, responsible for the deaths of, of Christians. I mean, essentially a murderer. Uh, you know, he, he'll claim to be one of the worst sinners and he boldly professes that, knowing that the only good in him is God. And so sometimes where you're at right now, uh, no matter what you've done, Jesus can interrupt you in a second and can turn that around and use you for his kingdom. So it's all of a sudden, Paul becomes one of the greatest apostles in history and had some more influence and, and wrote most of the New Testament from the way we know it. And so uh, he takes trips around the known world at the time, uh, traveling multiple times through various cities, preaching the gospel, extending the kingdom. And at one point, you can read about Acts 19, he spent two years in the city of Ephesus. 
And he took what was essentially a message that originated with the Jewish people through Jesus, and he took that message to now the Gentiles, to those who really have no right to receive the grace of God, to receive this message which started with the Jews. But Jesus came and opened up the door for everyone to receive this message and to receive this grace. And so Paul took this message to the city of Ephesus. It was one of the many cities he visited. And he spent two years there teaching, showing people this is Jesus. And he goes through the scriptures, the prophecies, and explains where Jesus came from and, and who he is, the son of God. He died for our sins that we could be forgiven, explain the grace of God. And during that time, in, in his two years in Ephesus, there was a man there named Epaphras. And Epaphras wasn't from Ephesus. He actually came from a smaller town about 100 miles east. The city was Colossae. And he comes from, from the city of Colossae, and, he, and he's 100 miles, east and he, or 100 miles west now in Ephesus. He hears this message from Paul, and he says, you know, explain further. I don't, how does this work? And as he learns what Paul preaches about the, the message of grace— he becomes saved. He becomes transformed. He, he's beginning to be, to be discipled by Paul to be a Christ follower, to, to live for Jesus, to, to see his sins washed away and, and understand over time what it means to live a life of godliness. And so Epaphras now takes this message back to his city in Colossae. He takes his message back and he starts sharing the joy that he's received from God with other people in his city and saying, listen to this message that I heard and this is who God is, and this is his son Jesus, and, and you can meet him too. Here's his saving grace, and he begins in his own small town to minister to people, to, to tell people about the, the joy of salvation, the gospel, which means the good news. He's just sharing the good news with people. And all of a sudden, there's more Christians in Colossae that Paul's never even spoken to. And they're growing in that city, and there begins to grow a church, a body of believers. It's not a church isn't a physical place. This is a, a great facility, but this is not the church. We, you, are the church. And so the church is now growing in the known world at the time through Paul and through Epaphras. And now there's a church in this city, in Colossae. And so uh, some years go by. And now Paul's in prison. In prison for his faith. He's done nothing wrong except preach the gospel. And so now he's in prison. And some years go by, and maybe, maybe the, the church in Colossae is only, maybe it's only a few years old. Maybe it's, you know, about as old as Canvas. And all of a sudden, you know, people come through the town, and, and new people come in the church, and other people leave, and, and all of a sudden there, there comes, uh, you know, some new teachings, some new philosophies, some new theologies, and some new ideas. And Epaphras, knowing that he's the one that brought the message from Paul, the apostle, originally, he recognizes, he knows the truth. He knows the way it was, it was taught to him. And so he, he's concerned. He says, wait, this, this doesn't line up with, with what I learned. And, and I'm concerned. I can see the direction of the church changing, attitudes changing, behaviors changing from what I, I, I know is the way Paul taught me. And I, I, this doesn't quite click. I'm concerned. And so he goes to Paul, now in prison, who's in house arrest in Rome. And he says, hey, I'm concerned about the church, and here's what's happening. Uh, you know, they've stayed in touch over time. And, and now Paul says, okay, well, I can't go there, so I'll write a letter. And at the same time, he's writing a letter to the Colossians. He's also writing a letter to the Ephesians and probably as well Philemon in, in this prison. And, and one man actually takes all three letters about the same time. Uh, Tychicus, uh, one man takes all three letters uh, out to the various churches. And so uh, today we're going to begin this letter of how 
Paul addresses the church there and what he has to offer them to minister to them and to challenge them and to, and to bring them to correction to the true gospel. So there's some powerful, powerful message in here. And, and I'm, like I said, excited to give you an introduction to it. So we're going to dive in. I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, read through the entire beginning of this with you. Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 1. And then we'll go and break it down one bit at a time. So Colossians 1, verse 1. By the way, I love this look here. Ben made me promise not to break the glass. They were going to have it up here, but we moved it back, you know. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And they would have recognized Paul and Timothy, uh, being that he's the one that, that taught Epaphras. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, Jesus, thank you so much, God. We praise you for this letter that Paul wrote to this church, maybe not even realizing that thousands of years later, God, you would be speaking to us through the same letter. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me to bring your Logos written word and have it transform into a rhema spoken word that would pierce the hearts of everyone here. God, as you've taught me, let me teach your people in Jesus' name. Would you speak and transform lives in the name of Jesus? Amen. Awesome. I love this. And as you read over once, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to really read through a chapter like, oh, that's great, let's keep going, and really miss a lot of the depth and the, and the meat of what's, of what's being spoken here. And so as I dove into this, it was challenging to read into it, read the history and really glean a lot from it. And I want to challenge you to take time to dwell on the Bible as you read it. But starting off here uh, in verse 1, we start off as he just gives a, a welcome here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. So I want to go through this kind of step by step. To the saints and faithful brothers. Saints, I don't know about you, but I read an article this uh, week that talked about how they're trying to canonize the late pope. Um, and I know for myself, I kind of came from a little bit of a Catholic background. Anyone else? Okay, that confused me when I read saints at first. 
So I was like, wait, so this was written to someone that was, can- did they canonize back then? Wait, who's, who's a saint then? Is, what saint was in this church? I, I was confused that this is a one, in, there, there's a saint in that church, that's awesome. I wonder who the saint is. Are there any saints in my church? It, but the word saint means holy. It, that's all it is. It, there's no status to be achieved here. It's a declaration over who you are. And that's who God says you are. And so, saint is not something that you can earn. It's not something that's going to be a title given to you through a ranking. This is someone who, who Paul is telling the church, you are saints. Saints always comes in the Bible in plural. It means to the people, the holy people of God. And so as he, calls, uh, as he uh, writes this letter to the saints, those who are faithful to Christ Jesus, and to the faithful brothers, which means you're faithful to one another in love. And so those are the people writing to, to you here today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And as Paul starts off in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Right off the bat, you got to remember, he's writing this from prison. He's writing this from house arrest, and he's been in worse spots, but he's still in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in a position multiple times where I'm living my life, and I'm not happy about my circumstances. I certainly wouldn't be happy in prison. I mean, if I'm in prison, I, I, I don't call, who, where's Colossae? I, who cares? I, I don't care what God's doing in Colossae. I'm in prison. God, shake, shake the foundation, break the chains, let's go. Come on. You know, I mean, come on, look at where I'm at, God. I mean, I, that's great that you're doing that there, but look at me here. And I know about, for, for me, I went through seasons where I didn't care about ministry that much. It was almost a burden to do it. And, and because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand beyond my own position what was going on. And some of us today, we, you, myself, we get so wrapped up in our own circumstances that we're missing out on the bigger picture of what God's doing, of the lives he's transforming, of his kingdom extending. And we don't value what he's doing right now today. The people around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, we, we, we complain about hating our job where if for a moment we get out of our shell and start encouraging our coworkers, maybe our circumstances would change. We, we, we're, we feel like we're in chains in our marriage, where if you could complain about your marriage and start ministering to your wife or helping your kids, or if you would get out of your own position and begin to focus on someone else, maybe your circumstances would change. Or maybe God would just change your perspective in your circumstances that you would be actually begin to enjoy your job begin to enjoy your marriage, begin to take ownership of your position, your finances. God, I'm so broke all the time. Why am I so broke? Well, why don't you go do financial peace and then tithe and then go help someone else? It's not about you. And I know for myself, I've been trapped in that, so I'm not looking to condemn anyone here, but we get so wrapped up in our own circumstances that that we forget that it's not about you. It's not about where you are right now. It's about what God's doing in his kingdom through you. And right now, wherever you're at, you can be used. I don't care if you feel like you're in prison. God can use you. Go encourage someone else. Go minister to someone else. So Paul celebrates the salvation of those he's never met. Matthew Barnett says, The quickest way to forget about your pain is to help someone else who hurts more. 
Man, you complain about, you know, oh, I had this crappy apartment and San Diego's so expensive. Man, go minister to the homeless and be thankful for your apartment. You know, I mean, oh, my car broke down. Be thankful you got a car. I mean, this is San Diego, man. Take the, take the bus, take the trolley. But verse 5 lends a lot of insight here. It says, because the love you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul's celebrating the love they have for the saints, for everyone else in the church, for the brethren of, of Jesus. But why? Why do they love each other? You know, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their love for one another. So why would they except for the hope laid up for them in heaven. This isn't a verb to hope for, to wish for. I hope I get to heaven. I, I wish I could. This is a, a noun. This is an object of their hope. Their hope is something stored up for them in heaven. It's already there. It's already promised to them since the day they believed. And so this is where we have our hope. It's an inheritance. It's something that's already stored up for us that can't be taken away. The Bible says we're, we're wroth. I'm sorry, moth and rust cannot destroy. That inheritance that you have as a believer can't be taken away from you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what people tell you, they can't take that away from you. You are a king, uh, I mean, sorry, a son of the king. You, you have an inheritance. Uh, you know, if you, you think about if, if you are the, the son or the, or the daughter of Donald Trump, okay, by default, you're going to inherit kind of a little bit of money, Right? So this is your inheritance. You get to live in paradise. You get the power of God. You get joy. You get to be delivered from sin. You get this large inheritance that's, that's handed to you, that's absolutely handed to you. And because of that, I know I have value. Wait, in the midst of my sin, God, you're saying that you're going to give me all this? Well, well, I probably need to get my life turned around first and, and really change my behavior because I know I don't deserve it. God says, I don't care. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's an inheritance. It's given to you. When you make that decision to give your life to Jesus and to follow him and have faith in him. And out of that, out of that initial faith, Paul talks here in verses 3 through 5 about faith, hope, and love. Out of that faith, we have, therefore, a hope that we can trust in. And out of that hope, now I know I'm, I'm valued. I'm a son of God. All of my sins have been forgiven as part of my inheritance. I don't deserve that. And when I know the garbage that's been in my life, that's been forgiven, now I know how much you're loved. And now I can love you. And when you wrong me, I can forgive you because I've done worse. And when... When, when you want to gossip about someone, said, no, God's covered all my sin. I, I don't need to expose anyone else's. And, and when I want to be selfish, no, God's not selfish with me. Not with this inheritance. And when you really understand that grace, when you really understand how much you've been forgiven, when you understand the inheritance you have, how much you're loved, that's what leads you to love others. That's what allows you to go out and love others the way that, that you're loved. When you really grasp that, but so oftentimes, we, we, we go out and we, we, we're in sin, and then we, we turn around and we're, we get saved. We make that repentance, and we say, I'm going to turn around and follow Jesus. But oftentimes, if we don't understand the grace, if we're not transformed through sanctification, we can't love people. There's no fruit. 
he moves on there from verse 6, uh, or in verse 5, he goes on, uh, of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Since you understood the grace, once you comprehend the grace, it begins to bear fruit. And so that's what we're going to talk about here in a second. And he moves on in verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And this is important to know because he's edifying Epaphras at this point. He says, as you heard it from Epaphras, this is the truth. So as you heard it from Epaphras, he'll move on in later chapters that we'll get into about coming against the, the false teachings that are coming into the church. But he's edifying Epaphras, Epaphras is faithful minister of the gospel. He knows the truth. As you heard it from him, that's the way it is. Don't forget that lesson of grace, of the inheritance you have. So the church there was mainly composed of Gentiles. But like I said, as Epaphras came in and explained the grace of God, they get saved. And he's edifying Epaphras, saying that he's the one that you want to follow. If you don't value your own salvation, how can you value someone else's? If you don't value your own inheritance, how can you value someone else's? That's going to lead you to love other people the right way. I've, I've, I've spoken to a few men who, in their relationships, did not treat women well. I, one recently, a, a man I spoke to was a... Uh, an outspoken Christian, loves Jesus, and, and confessed to me that, yeah, my one hang-up is that I, you know, I mess around with these girls, and, you know, it's really hard to stop. And, and I don't mean to judge this man, but I had to tell him very clearly, okay, so you, that person knows you're a Christian, so as you mess around with, which, let's just be clear, this is sex, this is uh, physical intimacy, what are you telling that girl about Jesus, about her value, about her worth? And what are you conveying about her father to her? I mean, do you realize for a second that as you mistreat this woman, and that's not love, men, that's not love, women, but because you really essentially just use her for your own satisfaction, what if she doesn't ever get to know Jesus because of the example you set? What, what if this woman ends up never turning to Jesus because you were a stumbling block. When we don't love people the way we're supposed to, we set an example of who God is. We are the image of Jesus in this generation. I'm not saying you're going to live perfectly, don't get me wrong, but we're moving toward perfection through a process of sanctification. And I want to convey to that man of God the, the, the levity of those, those, those decisions the, the other salvation is riding on the line here. And when we value our salvation, we understand how much we've been forgiven, that, that momentary pleasure doesn't make sense anymore because I know how much God loves you. And I know how much he cares for you and the inheritance waiting for you. You and me messing around doesn't make sense anymore. That sin, that pornography doesn't make sense anymore because of my destiny. It's like I preached last time. You have to have the vision that keeps you moving in the right direction and your reasons why we behave the way we do. And so Paul has, has taught Epaphras the way to live a Christian life. And as we move on, the knowledge there, uh, verse, uh, verse 9. 
And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Since the day we heard, we've not ceased praying for you. This is years before when they get saved, the church is beginning. We've not ceased praying for you. Paul knows that once they're saved, many of us, we pray for our family. We pray for, uh, you know, we pray for relatives. We pray for our coworkers and neighbors, sometimes for years. And then once they get saved, oftentimes, even if they, if they do or don't, sometimes we just stop praying. Paul says, we've not ceased praying for you. Even once you get saved, that's just the beginning. He knows now's not the time to stop praying. Now's not the time. There's more work to be done. And so for many of us, if you've been saved, you realize that, man, I got saved, but man, the next day I sin. What's up with that? Welcome to Christianity. <laughs> You're not perfect immediately. Your salvation, you could be, I mean, knee deep, shoulder deep, neck deep in sin. Some of you in this room have done all of it. I mean, abortions and drugs and murders, maybe, even in this room. I mean, the worst of the worst is in the Bible, and God used those people. But when you're neck deep in sin, the salvation is in a moment. I decide in the middle of my sin, I'm going to turn the other way, God. I want to start following you. That's salvation right there. It's a change of direction. Well, but I, but I just sinned last night. I can't get saved today. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. All it is is a change of direction. You've got one foot on the path. You can get saved today. It's a change in direction. Now, sanctification, that's a process. <laughs> justification, the justifying of your life, the salvation, the forgiveness is in a moment. But sanctification takes a lifetime. That's a process. You've got to walk it out day by day by day and become more and more like Jesus. But it's that ongoing submission to God that allows us to move towards sanctification, toward the image of Jesus, and be more like him. The word knowledge there means full and accurate knowledge. It's important that we really understand this stuff. I mean, get in your Bible. Get in the school of ministry. Get around other believers who are firmly rooted in the word. It's important that we know that. That's why he wrote this letter, to combat the false teachings that are leading you astray to to, you know, think about how many false teachings there are just today that want to lead you away to believe that, that you know, there is no hell and that uh, what marriage really is, uh, you know, let's change the laws. And it, today, there is a foundation. That there is a standard. There's a standard out there. And don't, don't take it from me. Don't take it from me at all. I'm a man. Get in your word. Get in your word. Know it. Dive in. Learn it. Learn it. Full and accurate knowledge. Luke 5.25 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding and knowledge. He didn't come out of the womb and know it all. It says here that he grew in wisdom. How much more so do we need to grow in wisdom? That process of sanctification why is that? Why do we need to keep growing? Because we get saved in a moment, but from that point we start growing, and that's where the fruit comes in. Verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I can walk in a worthy manner, a manner worthy of the Lord, so by changing my behaviors, then that's how I get saved. No. No, 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 no. That salvation was already back there. We already talked about that. Salvation starts first. And then you grow and you start bearing fruit. And that fruit comes through that process of sanctification. A manner worthy of the Lord. When you walk in a manner, it means it's a, it's a lifestyle that you live. It's the way you conduct yourself, a manner worthy of the Lord. Not because I'm here to live by the rules, but because I'm already saved. I have an inheritance, and God, I'm so grateful that I'll do whatever you say. What, what do you want me to do? I've got it all already. What do you want from me, God? I'm yours. And out of that obedience and that love for others and love for God, do we begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because I believe... It says here, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. I believe you can be saved, yet not live a fruitful life. And, and really, maybe even make it into heaven without bearing any fruit. And maybe make it in by the skin of your teeth. I don't know. But there are Christians who, by oh, I believe, are saved, but, but maybe didn't bear any fruit. Think about, for a moment, Jesus hanging on the cross. The man next to him, also on the cross, who actually probably did deserve it, not like Jesus. He said, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, will you remember me? Please don't forget about me when you're into your kingdom. And he says, I promise you today you're going to be in paradise with me. So from that point on, the guy on the cross, he, he left and had a lot of fruit and, and changed and repented. No. No, he didn't have time. He didn't have time, but he still made it to, to paradise. And so you can live this life and not have any fruit. You can't. You can get saved, and that's it. I'm saved. I'm good to go. What's next? But it's not about you. That's great you're saved. That's awesome. What about everyone else? What about the kingdom of God? What about the love that God has for other people now that you have your inheritance? How much do you want to tell other people about that? When you understand it, man, you're excited to tell other people. This inheritance I have, i got to tell you about it. I don't want to be the weird religious guy on the street, but... If I meet you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Like, you know, what'd you do this last weekend? I did like 10 church functions. I'm excited about it. <laughs> you know, what made you move to San Diego? Wasn't for a job. Let me tell you why I moved to San Diego. You know, it just comes out. Yo, do you want to go to the club with me? Ah, no, no, thanks. Well, you're weird. You know, why talk so great about your wife or... Uh, you know, gosh, you really seem to enjoy your kids. That's really bizarre. You know, I, it's weird. There's a reason why. And it's going to come out. When it's genuine, when you really love God, it's going to come out. Luke 8 talks about some seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked out that seed that it wouldn't bear any fruit. And some fell on good soil and grew a yield a hundredfold. What is your life going to be are the thorns going to choke out your life that you don't bear any fruit? Or like the Bible says, as a runner runs a race, casting off the sin which so easily ensnares that we can run the race set before us. Don't let life choke out the fruit from your life. Continue to grow. Continue to grow. Get with God. Understand your own salvation and grow. Joyce Meyer says that a barren Christian is a contradiction. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. A barren Christian, barren mean there's no fruit, there's no, 
There's, there's, nothing, there's no, nothing birthed out of your life. It doesn't make sense. If you're a Christian, a Christ follower, it's expected you'll have fruit. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their love for one another. When, you're, when you understand your salvation, it will come out. A tree doesn't grow up to maturity. And then once it's grown up 50 feet in the air, oh, now I'll start bearing fruit. All along the way, it bears fruit along the way. And as it grows and grows and grows, more fruit, more fruit, more fruit, as it grows, as it matures. Verse 11 is exciting. May you be strengthened with all power according to whose glorious might? Whose? His. Who's his? Jesus, God, his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Understand for a moment his power and might. His power and might. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I remember I was in high school and I got down at the end of my row. I was too afraid to go up to the front and give my life to Jesus there. So I got down the front side of my row and I was like, God, I know what you, the life you want me to live, I can't, I can't do it. I, I know I can't. <laughs> Made a lot of mistakes, God. I can't live that life. But if you want me, I mean, it's, I feel you calling me. If you want me, take me right where I'm at. But all of a sudden, when I did that, I went back home from that summer camp, and everything changed. All of a sudden, my language changed. My heart changed. I, di I didn't want to be in relationships with girls anymore because I'm in high school. What's the point? Parents, amen? Anybody? <laughs> so everything changed about me and where I said on my own, God, I can't live the way you want me to live. And so for a long time, I just gave up. That step of faith. You can be filled with his power. His power. To overcome all those sins, to love your spouse, to love your family, to love your neighbor, to, to overcome those addictions, his power. We're talking about the same power that rose Lazarus from the dead, that opened up blind eyes, that heals the sick. I mean, the, the power that created the world is at your fingertips. It's part of your inheritance. And often we wonder, God, how do I get that? How do I get that? I want more of that. Give me more power. Give me more power. And that's good. That's great. But at the end of the day, it's already in you. It's already in you. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you've given your life to God, that power is already inside of you. All you have to do is start acting on it. Start fighting for it. Start applying it. Start praying big prayers. Start living the life that God's called you to live. And you can do it. You can do it. When you walk in confidence to know that, God, you've given me the power to live this life, you can do it. You have it already inside of you. It says, uh, with, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And like I said, this process of sanctification, you're going to need endurance. This is a lifetime of living for God. You're going to need endurance on a daily basis, getting with God, having strength for that day. And patience. How many of you need more patience? If, if you don't, go get married. <laughs> if you don't think you need more patience, go have some kids. If you don't think you need more patience, go get a job. Get a boss. Get a roommate. Get around people. Hang around me for a while. 
You're going to need some patience. You just, amen? <laughs> You're going to need some patience in this life. Endurance. Sometimes I need endurance where I'm like, God, is it bedtime yet? I need some endurance. Get these kids to bed. But you're going to need impatience, endurance in this life. And the great thing about it is that Paul says, patience and endurance with joy. Wait, with joy? With joy. That, that doesn't make sense. Oh, wait, it does make sense, I guess, in the Bible at least. James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. The testing of your faith produces patience. You can have joy and patience together. You can be patient through the process, patient for your prayers, patient for God to come through on his promises. You can have patience and all along the while be joyful. Paul in prison, celebrating the work of God in someone else's life, full of joy. I'm in prison, but I'm full of joy. Worshiping from prison. No matter what you're in, you can have patience and have it with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? You don't qualify yourself. You don't earn it. Paul, for a long time, as Saul, tried to earn it. Climb the ladder. I know I've tried to earn it. Try to, you know, put on the face of, got to live a Christian life. Got to do the right thing. I failed miserably. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, the holy people of God. This is for all of you, that inheritance. It's for you. You're qualified by God. And it says that he's qualified you. I know that a lot of people in this church, I, you know, some of you who've confided some of your, your life to me, don't feel like you qualify to be in ministry. Don't qualify to share the gospel because of the life you live or the things you've done. Paul, he was the biggest persecutor of the church. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter wasn't a religious leader. He was a fisherman. He didn't have any academic knowledge of, of the Old Testament. I myself don't deserve to be up here. But it's God who qualifies you. It's God who qualifies you. It's God who qualifies you. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Your life can be redeemed no matter where you've been, no matter where you are. Your life is worth something and God can turn it around and bear fruit where at the end of your days, it says that your fruit of your life, your works will be judged by fire, and those that are eternal works will remain for a treasure in heaven. He can redeem your life right now where you're at. You're not the guy on the cross. You've got time. You've got time. But it's just like that man who says, remember me. I want to be with you in heaven. You've got to make that confession, that statement. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's, an, there's another kingdom out there. If someone's come up and begin the music. There's a, there's a kingdom out there that, that those who don't know God are in a kingdom of darkness. Their, their eyes are overshadowed. They, they don't see the truth. They're blinded. 
But God wants to pluck you out of that, open your eyes, and put you into an inheritance, a glorious kingdom of life. And again, that's no matter how deep you are in that sin, all it takes is one step. God, that's what I want. I can't do it on my own, but right where I'm at, I want to start changing direction and start going down a new path, start following you and loving you. And just watch what God does. Just watch what God does. So many people in this room right now are being changed, have been changed. Our school of ministry students, I can't believe how much they progress and the fruit of their life is changing and growing not just here, but, but out there in the city and in the world. And it starts with faith, hope, love. It starts with faith to begin to say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you, and I want to give my life to you. And there's people here today that maybe are afraid to make that initial statement because you know that I can't do that. You know, I tried to live that life before, and I can't do it. God says, put it in my hands. Give it to me. Go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head with me. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.